This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. I think what stuck out about Reagan's case is that it's a parent's worst nightmare. It's your daughter. It's your friend in college. It's somebody's sister. It's somebody's girlfriend. It's it was so relatable because there are so many young people on college campuses across the country who have to deal with you know, their own personal safety and their parents have to worry about their safety. And so that was what was so tragic was that it was just such a horrific thing to happen to, to be a random victim of this type of crime. Um, that was really what was the hard thing. Regardless of the outcome of today's verdict, it doesn't bring our daughter back. It doesn't erase the night of terror that Reagan had to endure. What can never be taken from us, however, is the love that we had and have as a family and the love and memories that we shared with Reagan. We will remain vigilant and hold steadfast to that love and to our faith. We know that Reagan is in heaven and evil has not won. In February 2017, family and friends gathered at a memorial service outside of Toledo, Ohio, to remember the life of 21-year-old Reagan Tokes. Hundreds of people said their final goodbyes to Tokes in the church where she'd grown up. She was bright, vivacious, getting ready to graduate from Ohio State, studying psychology. And her friends just viewed her as just such a positive light. I know they shared some videos on social media of just them being out and about in the short north area or just having fun. And um, from everyone that I talked to, they just felt like she was such a, a, a bright light that was whose life was cut short too early by this senseless act. Reagan Tokes was a senior at Ohio State University just months away from graduating when one week earlier she was kidnapped after leaving work in downtown Columbus on the night of February 8th, 2017. So Reagan, like a lot of Ohio State students, had a job off campus and she worked at a restaurant slash bar in the short north area of Columbus. And for those not familiar with it, it's an area full of nightlife and restaurants and a lot of students end up spending time there just for to enjoy themselves and she left work that night and was attempting to go to her car when she was abducted by a man named Brian Goldsby. This is Bennett Haberly, the chief investigative reporter with 10TV WBNS in Columbus. They end up driving around in her car going to various ATMs. He's wanting her to remove cash and Eventually, somewhere along the lines, she's sexually assaulted. She's raped. And what was troubling about this case is learning later on down the line during the trial that he had indicated to her that she was going to be okay, that she, he was going to allow her to live. And it raised questions among people who kept close tabs on this case of making all these stops at ATMs or gas stations. Why didn't she run? Why didn't she scream? Um, and the indication was he had given her this promise that he wasn't going to kill her, that she was going to survive. And ultimately that didn't happen. He drove her out to a park on the south side of town uh, where she was fatally shot. 
she was shot twice and was discovered by a passerby the next morning. That man's name was Richard Bonner, who said he pulled into the park that next day, February 9th, 2017, the day after Reagan was abducted. Because he had forgotten some paperwork at a nearby coffee shop. He was merely pulling into park to turn around. But as he started to turn around, he noticed something. Noticed something suspicious. And here's how he described what he saw. And when I looked over at the side view mirror, I saw a, uh, a uh, person laying on the ground. I thought it was a mannequin. I saw blood, dried blood coming from her nostrils under her face, and I knew that wasn't a uh, mannequin. Reagan Tokes had been shot twice in the head at close range. Evidence at the scene eventually led police to the suspect. But it was, he was connected through just a cigarette butt that had been left around Reagan's car. And I believe it was even a city employee checking license plate numbers uh, that identified her car, and that was the link. They were able to locate her car and then from there, they were able to piece it together that it came back to this convicted sex offender who had just been released from prison a month or two before Reagan was abducted. We learned later on that he had been wearing a GPS ankle monitor the entire time. Days later, 29-year-old Brian Goldsby was taken into custody. You saw the alerts on your phone this morning. Just two days after her body was discovered, police believe they have found the man who killed her. From the moment Grove City Police discovered the body of 21-year-old Reagan Tokes just yards from the front entrance of the Metro Park, they worked through the night, and tonight they announced they have an arrest. Brian Goldsby is behind bars. DNA evidence proved to be crucial. We recovered several pieces of evidence inside the car that could be tested for DNA. As BCI compared that DNA to their sex offender registry, they found a match. His name is Brian Lee Goldsby. Goldsby was released from prison this past November after serving a six-year sentence convicted for attempted rape and robbery. We dug into the 10TV archives and found he was arrested in November of 2010 after police said he pulled a knife on a woman in the parking lot of an apartment complex on Ashton Row West Road and attacked her in front of her two-year-old son. Investigators say he forced the woman to take money from an ATM. Goldsby was interrogated by Grove City Police into the early morning hours of February 11th. Goldsby said he was in the short north area on the evening of February 8th and admitted to detectives that he was after money. He said he forced his way into Toke's car and had her drive to two different ATMs. He told detectives that the two of them then drove to a gas station before eventually driving to the park location where Toke's body was found on February 9th. He gave us details of the events of the night that closely matched what we were finding. Over the course of that interrogation, Goldsby's story changed. He told detectives that a man named TJ forced him to rape Tokes, but he claimed that TJ was the man who pulled the trigger. But police weren't buying Goldsby's version of events, and he was charged with 18 counts, including murder, kidnapping, and rape. Police say they are not ruling out other recent violent crimes that Goldsby could be tied to, including three attacks in German Village. Could be, but again, we're working with our Columbus partners, so I, I can't answer that for sure right now. This investigation continues, and one item Grove City Police are waiting to get their hands on, video from ATMs in which Reagan Toke's card was used that night. But it was the news that Goldsby was wearing an ankle monitor when Reagan Tokes was murdered, that really started getting attention. What's so, what's so damning about that ankle monitor is that once police got it, 
and checked the data after Goldsby's arrested for Reagan's murder, they found out that he had committed a string of violent robberies in another Columbus neighborhood in the weeks and even the day leading up to Reagan's abduction. So if someone had been watching this, even checking it up periodically, once every 24, 48, 72 hours, they would have seen that this guy was out doing things. They could have connected him to other crimes and potentially avoided Reagan's death. And that bit of information became such a huge focal point, not only of this case, but of our investigations into problems with how the Ohio prison system monitors violent offenders once they're released from prison. Bennett Haberly and his colleagues at WBNS in Columbus started looking into Ohio law and how a convicted violent felon like Brian Goldsby had slipped through the cracks. Prior to 1996, anyone convicted of uh, you know, a felony in Ohio was going to prison for an indeterminate amount of time. Well, then lawmakers decided to have truth in sentencing, right? So you have then anybody convicted after 1996 is going to a set term of prison. No matter what you do in prison, you're going to serve out that time and then you're going to be released. Well, in Brian Goldsby's case, he goes to prison on a separate charge and he acts out while in prison. He gets somewhere between 40 and 50 violations. And despite that, despite not being rehabilitated, despite acting out, he's still going to get let out in prison regardless of that. And so when his time comes up, he's released and he's released homeless. And the reason he's released homeless is because he's a sex offender. He was convicted of a sex crime and no halfway house in the Columbus area would take him. And so the solution was to place an ankle monitor on him. And he ended up living in a a lesser restrictive housing uh, community that that didn't quite have the close watch on him uh, that he may have had in other restrictive other restrictive settings. And what we found out about that ankle monitor was that it didn't have any guardrails. It didn't have any of these these geo fences where that would limit where he would go or would limit that he could only go to work and or to the doctor and then come home. It was basically like he was free to roam about the cabin. There was no one watching him in real time. And that was really the takeaway from this crime was that people's expectations that violent criminals who are on ankle monitors are going to be watched doesn't match the reality that they're not watched closely. They're not watched in real time. That doesn't happen. By that summer of 2017, prosecutors released more details about what the ankle monitor eventually revealed about Goldsby's movements in the weeks before Toke's murder, and they announced plans to seek the death penalty against Brian Goldsby. Prosecutors say they believed the accused killer prowled the short north and campus area for an hour before randomly targeting 21-year-old OSU student Reagan Tokes. Prosecutors have a clearer picture of how the crime unfolded because Brian Goldsby, who just got out of prison in November, was wearing an electronic monitoring device, or EMD. It's a roadmap of where he was, what he's done, where he's been. Prosecutors say that EMD revealed Brian Goldsby was terrorizing women months before he murdered Reagan. He's charged with six aggravated robberies, the most recent on February 7th, just one day before Reagan was killed. In early 2018, just weeks before Brian Goldsby was to stand trial, Lisa and Toby Toke sat down with Bennett Haverly to talk about their daughter and the unimaginable pain they'd lived through since Reagan's kidnapping, rape, and murder. 
This past year has been brutal, to put it bluntly. There's, there's no other way to describe it. It'll never, never go away. It's difficult, and it's a pain that, unless it's happened to you, you just can't know. Just to function, sometimes on a given day, just to be able to get up and put one foot in front of the other is tough. We just miss her every day. There's a huge void in our family. Um, some holidays, some birthdays have come and gone. They'll never be the same without her. There's always a missing spot in anything that we do. There's an empty bedroom in our home. And There's an empty chair at the dining room table. There's a sister. And there's a permanent emptiness in your heart that doesn't heal. Time does not heal all wounds. It does not. So by the time this rolls around to trial in 2018, it's a huge case. We've done a number of stories talking about, you know, the lapses in, in the criminal justice system, the fact that this guy misbehaved in prison, he still gets out, he gets an ankle monitor, but no one's watching him. He commits all these heinous crimes and no one's doing anything about it. And so then it spurs questions about, well, who else isn't being watched? What sort of policies or gaps are in place? And so by the time this all sort of bubbles up and the criminal trial rolls around, it's, be it's become a talking point in the public. And it's a capital case here. It's, a, it's He commits the act of murder in the, in the act of another felony, of robbery. So it becomes a capital murder case. New revelations about the night Reagan Tokes died emerged on the first day of the trial for the man accused of killing her. Prosecutors say Brian Goldsby initially lied about his involvement, telling police he robbed Reagan Tokes but did not rape or kill her. Prosecutor Ron O'Brien began his opening statement with that cold February day last year when a man stumbled upon what he thought was a mannequin in Scioto Grove Metro Park. It turned out to be the body of Ohio State student Reagan Tokes. Psychology major who was looking to graduate in May of last year, who never made that graduation because she was executed point blank in the head, the handgun. The defense team told jurors there are holes in the evidence. The state indicated it will present DNA evidence. DNA does not tell you the how, the why, or the when. Adding that the burden of proof is on the state. When all the evidence is in, we will stand back up and explain what charges and elements within those charges we think the state did not prove. We will ask you to acquit on those charges. Uh, part of the defense uh, during the course of the trial, at least what was brought up by police, was that he was trying to pin it on somebody else. He was saying there was a second person in the car with them. For more than three hours, jurors listened to a police interrogation video. In it, Brian Golsby admitted to abducting, robbing, and later raping Reagan Tokes. But he said he didn't pull the trigger. That was someone else. In the early morning hours of February 11th, 2017, Brian Goldsby repeatedly told police he did not kill Reagan Tokes. Over and over again, he said the same thing. But over the course of the six-hour interview, Goldsby's story changed. So did his emotions. He broke down, saying it was a man named TJ who was with him and told him to sexually assault Tokes. He then said TJ shot her. Prosecutors have said they believe TJ is made up and point to gunshot residue on Goldsby's clothing. 
They later pointed to GPS evidence from Goldsby's ankle monitor that they say shows him in the same locations on the night Tokes died. Detective Richard Forney also relayed this piece of information, something Goldsby said Reagan Tokes told him in the park that night. She said, all I want to do is live. There was an audible gasp in the courtroom after that statement. Reagan's parents weren't here today. They're in Northwest Ohio planning a celebration weekend to raise scholarship money in her name. This weekend would have been Reagan's 23rd birthday. On day two of the trial, prosecutors took jurors on a tour using photographs of seven locations they claimed chronicled what happened to Tokes the night she was murdered. Jurors were shown graphic images this afternoon of the crime scene, including Reagan Tokes' nude body that was discovered lying in Scioto Grove Metro Park last February. The jurors were only shown about 15 images of the hundreds that were photographed by police from that day. They included wide shots of the park and close-ups of the gunshot wounds to Reagan Tokes' head. I, I would say throughout the trial, he was very quiet, very stoic. He had um, defense attorneys who are very well known. You know, it lasts for several weeks. We hear from all kinds of witnesses, from the homicide detective to uh, people who, who knew Brian Goldsby to people who found Reagan. You, you hear all this testimony, and it comes down to there's an admission essentially of guilt that he acknowledges that he's going to be found guilty of this. But he said, I would like to apologize to the Tokes family for the conduct committed against their daughter, friends, and family. And he, he made that apology in open court, flanked by his attorneys, uh, with the jury present. But according to the defense, the real trial began after Brian Goldsby was convicted, as both sides made their case during the punishment phase. His defense team talks about how he was also a victim of the system, that he had been in prison as a child, that he had been sexually abused himself as a child and was acting out and that the system failed him and that he still deserves to live. He shouldn't, he shouldn't face the death penalty. And trying to convince the jury that there were enough mitigating circumstances to spare his life, and the jury believed it. And they, they voted to uh, recommend that he spend life in prison without the possibility of parole. And a judge concurred with that. We, the jury, being deadlocked and unable to agree on whether the aggravating circumstances outweigh the mitigating factors beyond a reasonable doubt, hereby unanimously determine the following life sentence on count one, life imprisonment without parole, signed by all 12 jurors. Following the jury's decision and before Goldsby was sent away for life, the judge that addressed the convicted killer in open court. Your life got spared because of your childhood and yet Reagan did nothing wrong whatsoever, and I find it ironic. And yet she forfeited her life because of your background. You get spared because of your background, and yet she forfeited her life. Reagan's dad, Toby Tokes, then spoke to reporters after the verdict. He doesn't exist. He hasn't existed in our world since the day we heard his name. This was about justice for Reagan, and I believe that that happened. But we give him no thought, no energy. He's gone forever. We did get the chance to interview some jurors afterwards, and they told us that they did waver. That some who started off thinking life in prison would then sway over and think about the death penalty, and then they would sway back, and others had similar experiences. So it was really interesting to talk to a few of the jurors and understand their mindset and the fact that they would sway 
you know, that they would start with one position and then move to another, then move back and, and vice versa. And it was a bit, it was kind of fascinating to be able to pull back that curtain of the judicial system after this is, this was over um, and, and hear that. Um, but, you know, the reality of it was that they ultimately decided that, uh, to recommend at least, that his, that his life be spared. Yesterday I was with life. Um, today I was with death. And what was the reason for that? Um, Reagan tokes. Um, why I let him live, he didn't let her live. You know, I mean, he went and took her life. He had a choice not to do that. So, although it went the why would he ask to spare his life? He didn't spare hers. It was uh, tough. Um, eight of us was for for the death, and there was two of the jurors. They were um, for life, and then two of them was just uh, even. We we couldn't discount what he did to her. But at the same time, the, the, the system failed them greatly. My heart goes out to them. Um, and I think that was the hardest thing, because like just going home and then seeing their faces, um, it, 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 it tore me up every night. It was very difficult. So, I mean, this is an experience you wouldn't think would be so difficult, but it was very difficult. He didn't deserve life. He, Reagan asked to live. Reagan asked for mercy but he didn't show her mercy. Brian Goldsby was sent to the Ohio State Penitentiary in Youngstown to serve out his life term without parole. And despite the fact that Goldsby had avoided a death sentence, his lawyers filed an appeal. Prosecutors responded filing their own cross appeal. One of the appeals was over instructions that were given to the jury about the penalty phase and about the mitigating circumstances. And the prosecutors were saying, they basically just the, the defense just essentially made up this story uh, that you know that he was sexually abused. They didn't offer any evidence into the record that this actually happened. They just said, "Well, he was raped by this other man, and it happened outside a convenience store when he was 12 years old or so." And they didn't offer a lot of proof of that. And so that became a point of contention um, during the appeals process. And I know that he um, that, that Goldsby had appealed. Um, part of the case, um, and the the prosecution turned around and said, "Great, let's retry the penalty phase. Let's do it again. Let's get another bite of the apple." And then I think that's when that sort of went to bed. The team realized, well, maybe it's better to not press our luck with the death penalty a second time. In the months after the verdict, the family of Reagan Toke sued the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction, arguing that the department and its contractors, like the residential program that housed Goldsby after his release, were negligent. Brian Goldsby admitted he raped and murdered Ohio State student Reagan Tokes. But this wrongful death lawsuit filed by the Tokes family alleges there is shared blame. The Tokes are suing the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction and the exit program, which housed Goldsby. They were horrendously negligent. Cincinnati attorney Bob Newman represents the Tokes family. He says both the exit program and the state failed to closely monitor Goldsby, a convicted sex offender who was wearing a GPS ankle monitor at the time he committed a series of armed robberies in the weeks and even the day before Tokes was killed. If people just had done their job, uh, this wouldn't have happened. And that's why it's so painful for the Tokes family. This is a tragedy that really didn't have to happen. Goldsby had both curfew violations and failed to charge his GPS device while at the exit program, both of which led to sanctions from his parole officer. 
The lawsuit alleges the exit program received state money, which obligated the program to exercise ordinary care in protecting members of the public from violent crimes, including murder and rape. It also alleges ODRC failed to check Goldsby's GPS data and knew the exit program did not monitor its residents in a meaningful way. The exit program released a statement to 10 investigates that reads in part, the exit program is not contractually obligated to provide monitoring and its ankle monitor was administered by an outside party. The statement went on to say, we will work with our attorneys to address this matter in court and will not be discussing it further in public. It really was the perfect storm or the imperfect storm, I guess, is maybe the better way to say it, because had all these dominoes not fallen into place in this particular order, Reagan would likely still be alive. And that's the hard thing, because I think it's just you never know when lightning is going to strike like that. Um, And I think, you know, and I've talked with prison officials here over the course of several years since I've worked on the story and. The other challenge that they're dealt with is the fact that there's free will. And their contention is, you know, no matter how many policies we put into place, there's always going to be free will. You know, we could monitor somebody, uh, you know, we could increase monitoring capabilities, but there's always going to be that potential that person's going to go off the rails. And so that was kind of their defense in, um, you know, sort of uh, pushing off a wrongful death lawsuit, which the the state, by the way, successfully did. Um, Reagan's family had you know, attempted to sue saying, you know, the state was negligent in this, in this regard. They had, they failed to provide a safeguard for Reagan and for others. And they didn't win that legal battle. Um, but I think the point that resonated with a lot of, a lot of people was the fact that like, this was just, this just seems like it was preventable. At least that was the Tokes contention, right? That's what the family believes that this was, this was preventable and had stronger, policies been in place, their daughter would still be here. In dismissing the lawsuit, Judge Patrick McGrath wrote, the court does not find the estate has pleaded any facts that establish the first requirement of any negligence action. Attorneys for the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction had argued that the department was immune from being sued and had no special duty to protect Reagan Tokes. The judge agreed. Reagan's parents, Lisa and Toby Tokes, told Bennett Haberly at the time, They were disgusted by the ruling and vowed to keep fighting. Neither one of us were totally surprised, but I have to say I would really probably use the word disgusted more so than I would disappointed. Was I thrown off by it? Uh, No. Um, Our attorney took this case on because he feels very strongly that Reagan was, um, you know, the victim of a senseless crime that the state had control over an individual, failed to monitor, failed to execute. And the bottom line is, we believe that we need to move forward with it to get to get changes made. That's what they're hiding behind, um, that, that we really didn't have a special duty to, uh, to control him. And it's just all, to me, unfathomable. But the Tokes are continuing to fight, finding other ways to honor Reagan's memory. They've done a number of things. They started a scholarship in honor of their daughter. Um, they now are planning to hold an event uh, later this fall to honor her. I think there's even a 5K race. Um, but in my talks with them, their whole thing is is that they've tried to take something so tragic and something so dark and turn it into a positive. Uh, I think that's probably what they wanted the legacy of what happened to Reagan to be. And so they've tried to do that through you know a number of these initiatives. If it's you know not. If it's teaching self-defense to other college students or if it's a scholarship fund, 
they basically tried to take what happened to their daughter and, and make it into something positive. And that's been a theme that they've repeated a lot of times in my talks with them. The scene of her murder has actually become um, the parks department here, along with the Tokes, they, they redid it. The park itself uh, was had some additional landscaping done. There's now a, a walking path, um, and, and there's a plaque dedicated to Reagan uh, in an area of the park. So that, that's just another example of the family's commitment to try to take a tragedy and turn it into something else. The Tokes are also actively pushing lawmakers in the state to establish the Reagan-Tokes Act. The mother of murdered Ohio State student Reagan Tokes says lawmakers' actions are long overdue. After a House vote yesterday, House Bill 166 now moves to the Senate. It would drastically change how ex-prisoners are monitored and housed once released. There are a lot of systemic failures that have to happen in order for this crime to occur. Representative Kristen Boggs reminded lawmakers of that Wednesday before the House voted unanimously to approve House Bill 166, known as the Reagan-Tokes Act. It doesn't make much sense for a person um, who has a lengthy criminal history to uh, be let out and not have parameters put in place. I mean, that's a failure for them, uh, and it's a failure to the rest of us. So the Reagan-Tokes Act was meant to address some of the, the shortcomings that we uncovered. One thing did change as a result of this. Now there there is sort of that change in the criminal code where if violent offenders are convicted of, of violent felonies, uh, the judge can sentence that person to a range of years. And the law now provides an incentive for them to behave while in prison so that there's the potential that they could get an early release. The other issues uh, that still remain outstanding and are still pending before the legislature are shoring up these GPS things, um, you know, broadening that system to make sure there are more fail safes, um, having the, the prison officials here in Ohio develop a program, a reentry program, so that we're not having as many um, people released homeless. So we don't have, you know, uh, an issue in public safety and we're, and we're not failing people who may have been rehabilitated through the prison system. Um, so that's still, uh, a discussion that's happening in the legislature and hasn't come to fruition yet. You know, they've, they've made a couple of efforts and it's, it's clear the House, that was the most recent thing that happened. The, the second part of the legislation cleared our legislative House um, this past spring, but it, it kind of ran out of time to address it in the Senate. Reagan is a number in a long line of other people that have had this happen and, and it has to stop. And I refuse to allow her to become just a number and a statistic. That's part of the motivation to do this. Regardless of circumstances on this earth, evil, tragic events, catastrophic events, the love that you share with your child and within your family, that never goes away and that can't be taken from you. Thanks to Bennett Haberly, the chief investigative reporter with 10TVWBNS in Columbus. And thanks for listening to True Crime Chronicles. I'm Will Johnson. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.